This time Charlie is coming forward for our second scripture. Hear the word of the Lord from Habakkuk chapter 2. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write division, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long, and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnants of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe! To him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall, and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on, on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire, and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them, for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in its own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. as we come to this good word that God has given us, let's quiet our hearts. Please pray with me.
Lord, we know that you are enthroned in the heavens. That you are in your holy place. And so we silence ourselves before you. Lord, speak. Let your voice that shakes the world shake us out of our accustomed ways of thinking and living. Lord, fill us with the knowledge of your glory today. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Well, it is a joy to be back with you again this Sunday after having been here last week as well. We were in Habakkuk chapter 1 last week and now we're moving on to chapter 2. You know what it's like to finally get an answer that you've been waiting for? And when you, you get that call or that envelope arrives in the mail. Maybe you went in for a test or a scan and you're waiting for the lab to process it and for the doctor to review it. And at some point, you're going to get that call. Good news, bad news. You don't know, but you're waiting for that answer. And when that phone rings, you jump. And you pick it up. And the doctor starts talking and you find out what the result is. Maybe you've sent in your college applications. Some of us can remember that. It's been a while. But you, know, you sent in your college applications and you applied to that school that you really wanted. That was just the right fit for you. The perfect program. And you're waiting for the letter that's going to come. And you know if it's just a regular you know, number 10 envelope, little, you know that's a no. But if it's one of the big envelopes, you, you know that's a packet. There's a lot in there. That's a yes. And so you're waiting to see that envelope arrive in your mailbox. I just went through a recent job transition. Uh, my, my day job isn't preaching. This is something I do on the side. And... You know, you, you do all the, you, this stuff. You, you write this cover letter and you, you tailor your resume to fit what this position is. And, and you, you complete their online application and you click, click send and it goes. And then you wait. And then you get an email. Yeah, we want an interview. Okay, great. And you have this Zoom interview where you can hardly see the person and, you know, all that. And, but then, you know, hopefully that went all right. And then you wait. And then you get another email. Hey, we want to interview in person. Come on in. And so you, you go in and you have the second interview and, and you, you talk with the people and you try to present yourself well and accurately both at the same time. And, uh, you know, which is sometimes hard to do, you know, at least for me. I don't know about you. But, um, you know, and so you have the second interview and then you wait. And hopefully it's a phone call. It's a yes, we want you. When can you start? We're all waiting for answers. There's all things we don't get about life. There's all things we're waiting to be settled. 
in our own lives and the world around us. And that's, that's where Habakkuk took us in chapter 1. Habakkuk is waiting for an answer to his questions, big questions. He's been crying out to God about the injustice and the wrong and the violence around him. And he's been getting no answer, so now he's crying about, out about the fact that he got no answer. And then the Lord answers, and it's not a good answer. It's not the answer he was hoping for. It doesn't help. It raises more questions. Because the Lord tells us in chapter 1, verse 5, that he is raising up the Chaldeans, this mighty, powerful nation who are going to sweep across the earth to take possession of everything. And Habakkuk is bewildered. How can this be the answer? Because I know you're good, Lord. You're so very good, and they're so very bad. And how can you be on their side? How can you be raising them up? What is going on? And so we find Habakkuk at the end of all that. Chapter 2, verse 1. Standing on the city wall. Looking out, waiting for his answer to arrive. Keeping watch. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And then, beginning in verse 2 and going through the rest of the chapter, the answer arrives, what we've been waiting for. And the Lord's answer here starts with some instructions, which is a little unusual. Most of the time we have, you know, here's what it is, and then here's what you do about it. But this one tells us what to do with the Lord's answer on, on at the beginning. It's before we even open the envelope and see what the Lord's message is. He wants us to know something. It's like, you know, when you get the envelope and it says, it has a message on the outside, you know, important tax information, you know. Or, you know, instruction, tear sides before you tear the top, you know, whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those envelopes that's going to tell you about what to do with it before you open it. Tells us a couple things in verses 2 and 3 before we actually get to the content of God's answer. The first thing that the Lord tells Habakkuk, the Lord tells us, is that this message, this answer that the Lord is giving is an answer that needs to be shared, distributed, copied. And the Lord answered me, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. And this word vision here uh, is not so much meaning a, a you know, a scene that opens before Habakkuk's eyes and it, you know, an immersive spiritual experience. We see those happen in the Bible, and sometimes this word means that. But more often it means kind of a, an insight or a preview. It's, it's a seeing word, but it's not so much a you had a visionary experience, but you're getting a look at what God is doing or going to do. Right? It's this divine supernatural insight that God gives to the prophet. This message is a sneak peek into God's plan. And so he says, this message is for you, Habakkuk. 
The Lord answered me. And the command, write the vision, and then verse 2, wait. These are singular commands. You, Habakkuk, need to write this. And you, Habakkuk, need to wait. But it's not for his eyes only. It's personal, but it's not private. Habakkuk, I have an answer for you. Just really, you, it's addressed to you, but you need to take this and tell the world. Write this on tablets so that he may run who reads it. And the word there, read, isn't just, you know, you know, looking at the words and thinking about them in your head. This is a read aloud. This is announce, proclaim. Someone needs to go and start reading this to the people. This needs to be on the public address system. This needs to be on Twitter. This needs to be posted in the town square so everyone can see it and shout the news. As they run with this message. This message is for everyone. It's important. And this message is certain. Verse 3. Still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Again, God hasn't told us what the message is, but he wants us, before we get to it, to know something about it. This is the real deal. Before we open the envelope, he wants us to be aware that this is not a provisional, contingent plan. These promises are not depending on some external circumstances that might or might not be fulfilled. He's not saying you're on the wait list. No, no, this is it. This is the plan. This is the deal. This is what is going to happen. So, plan accordingly. Wait for this. Get ready for this. Because this really is what's going to go down. Wait for it. I have five children. I am a father. Father's Day. And I can tell you that one of the hardest four letters in the English language that I have to impart to people on a regular basis are W-A-I-T. Wait. It can't all happen now. It's not going to happen all now, but it is going to happen. Wait for it. Waiting is so hard. You know, Habakkuk has been waiting when he hears this. And we've been waiting. And we cry out with Habakkuk, how long? Keep waiting. Don't stop. Don't give up. Keep waiting. The Lord is going to fulfill His promises. And then we open the envelope and we look inside and hear are three promises that the Lord gives to Habakkuk to share with all of God's people. The first promise in verse 4, 
the promise of life. Behold, his soul is puffed up, is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. You see, Habakkuk has been asking the Lord, okay, so if you're raising up these people, these whose side are you on, Lord? Well, it turns out the Lord does take a side. But the fact that he is at this moment raising up these wicked people does not mean he's on their side. The Lord, on the one hand, rejects the arrogant. His soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Now, that word puffed up is a very rare word in, in uh, Hebrew. Uh, the only other time it occurs is it's in a different form. And it's when the Israelites, when they've been told not to decide on their own initiative, they're going to go and try to conquer the promised land in Numbers 14. They presume. They have the audacity to set out their own agenda and say, no, we're not going to do what you said, Lord. We're going to do it our way. That's what this attitude is, this presumptuous, arrogant, self-reliant, self-willed kind of attitude. And the Lord says, no, that is not okay. His soul is not upright within him. This is my evaluation of that kind of attitude. But here is my promise. The righteous will live. The righteous will live. Now, righteous, who is righteous? Well, it says the righteous will live by his faith or faithfulness. And in the Hebrew, it's probably more accurately, there's a note here in the ESV that it could be either one. Uh, the Hebrew, it's probably more, or pretty certainly more likely to be faithfulness. Actual, consistent dependability faithfully doing what God says is right walking in his ways now it's important we understand that the life that God promises us in Jesus by faith is a new life a transformed life and that no one who says I believe in Jesus and doesn't strive to walk in his ways, actually follows Jesus. We all struggle, we all stumble, we all need mercy and grace. But in fact, a life of faith is a life of faithfulness. But it's a life of faithfulness in trusting the Lord, not in our trusting ourselves. We don't want to, it's the opposite of that arrogant presumption. It's humility. Not imagining that because I'm faithful, I'm good enough. As if I deserve and have earned by my goodness God's mercy and grace. You can't earn mercy, it's a gift. Faithfulness means faithfully depending on the God who forgives and has mercy and is kind. And for those who are righteous that way, the Lord promises life. Now, in Habakkuk's context, this includes, and especially focuses on actually surviving. A war is coming. There is destruction coming. 
But the Lord promises that he will, in the midst of that, protect and preserve those who are faithfully walking in his ways, trusting in him. But in the context of the Bible more broadly, this is a bigger deal. It's not just you're going to make it through this crisis and survive. For those who are faithful to the Lord, the Lord promises a gift of life, of abundant life, eternal life, unending and unconquerable, indestructible life. That's the first promise in this envelope, the promise of life. But there's a second promise that goes along with it, and we've already seen a little foretaste of that. Promise of judgment, of justice. The Lord has issued his verdict. This arrogant one, his soul is not right within him. And then he proceeds to a sentence. He evaluates what he's done. He lays out his crimes in verse 5. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. And then there is this great reversal. And all the nations, starting in verse 6, take up this taunt and mock this world ruler. And we have this series of five woes through the rest of the chapter. You see one start there in verse 6. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Verse 9. Woe to him who gets evil for his, who gets evil gain for his house. Verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with blood. Verse 15. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. And then verse 18 and 19. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake. His five woes through this passage. And in all of these we see that this, the tables turn. This gatherer of the nations becomes their joke. This creditor is plundered by his debtors. This builder who has constructed his house on the suffering of others is condemned by the very stones and timbers of his dwelling place. This cup that he has been forcing on all the nations so that they get drunk and disgraced, the Lord hands it to him and says, your turn. You are going to be intoxicated and stripped. And your glory is going to turn into shame. This promise is good news. Because we live in a world in which there is so much wrong. And we long for justice. In 2018, a man walked into a synagogue in Pittsburgh with intent to take life from the people who were worshiping at Tree of Life. And he did. And two days ago, a court handed down a guilty verdict on every single charge laid against him. And you know what? The world should rejoice. The world should rejoice in justice. It is good and right. There was another Mesopotamian conqueror besides 
the king of Babylon. His name, well, what he called himself, was Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. He was the first so-called caliph of the so-called Islamic State. And he conquered large portions of Syria and Iraq. He was a rapist and a murderer. He tried to wipe out whole peoples. And in 2019, he was brought to an end by the United States military in a special raid. And that is good and right. That the people were delivered from his violence and oppression. And though the Lord does not rejoice in the death of the wicked, he does rejoice in justice. And we should. It is good news that the Lord is going to right wrongs. But then we get this shift in the midst of this, the celebration of the downfall of Babylon. All the nations are happy, great. The bad guy got what was coming to him. But then it turns out that Babylon is not alone. It shifts from nations versus Babylon to the Lord versus the nations. We see this in verses 12 and 13 here. This third woe. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Yeah, down Babylon. But then, behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that the peoples, plural, labor merely for fire, and the nations weary themselves for nothing. You see, Babylon, it turns out, is it's not just that they went too far, that they, they didn't you know, respect international law. They didn't you know, respect the sovereignty of other nations. The Lord says Babylon represents the extreme expression of what all the nations are trying to do. They have this futile goal in verse 13. All the nations are striving and trying to get what Babylon was trying to get. Power and wealth and security and supremacy. And maybe they pursue it more diplomatically. Maybe with more restraint. But that's what they're all chasing and it's all A waste of time in the end. Being the most powerful nation in the world, which at the moment is the one we live in, is not the end goal. It's not enough. It won't last. And the Lord says all the nations, in this final woe, verse 18 and 19, all the nations are not only pursuing a useless goal, but they're relying on useless support. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? Its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake! To a silent stone, Arise! Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth, all the earth be silent before him. 
You see, the natural bent of all humanity is to trust in our own man-made religion. We try to shape God in our own image to fit our own understanding and desires and goals. That's not the real God. The gods of the nations are made up, artificial, not real, useless. And so we have this third problem. We have the promise that God is going to display His glory in all the earth. History is heading somewhere. You know that? We have been given the end of the story. We don't know all the twists and turns along the way. But we have been given the end of the story. And here's how it ends. As the nations wear themselves out trying to achieve glory and power and supremacy through their own strength, God says, I will have the last word. In the end, it will not be Russia or Ukraine. Not America or China. Not the United Nations or Islamic State. In the end, it will be the kingdom of God. And so this this is reflected in the present reality now. See, at present, Isaiah Chapter 6, the the angels are crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. God's glory is on display in everything He has made. But as the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, but though God's power and glory are evident in what He has made, humanity refuses To see it. We exchange the glory of God for a lie and worship and serve created things. God's glory is all over the place, but the knowledge of his glory that Habakkuk talks about here, the knowledge of his glory is not universal. That's going to change. This is the promise the Lord gives. The whole world is going to know how good and great and glorious He is. Because God is not like the artificial gods of the nations. He is real and alive. He's not a statue. He's not an idea. He is a living person who upholds all the universe in the palm of His hand. And He is going to reshape it to make it right. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord actually displayed his real presence in the temple in Jerusalem at that time. His glory filled the house so that people couldn't go inside. And Habakkuk says, and that glory is going to spill out. It's going to overflow and flood the earth. The Lord is going to fill the world with the knowledge of his glory. And he's already doing it in this passage. He said that it is from the Lord's hand that the peoples labor in vain. The Lord is at work 
in the midst of all this striving and injustice, he is acting. It is the Lord who holds the cup that he hands to the oppressor and says, your turn now. This is what's coming to you. And every time that justice is done in this world, and it is, not always, not perfectly, not yet, but it is done. Every time justice is done, God is doing it. He is the God of justice. The God who is at work in the world is giving us a preview of the reality that all the world will one day be full of the knowledge of who he is. And so because that's true now, that's the present reality, all the earth needs to sit down and be quiet before him, he says. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Because the final reality is that all the earth will know him. All nations, all people, everywhere, everyone will know, experience, witness, believe in the glory of our God, the God of Israel. You know, God is doing that. He's bringing that about in the world. In Jeremiah chapter 31, God tells the prophet a similar promise. He says that here, I'm going to make a new covenant with my people. And here's what it's going to be about. They will all know me. They won't have to tell each other, know the Lord. They will all know me. And as we read earlier in Isaiah chapter 11, which also talks about the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, that is the result of this, this coming king, this offspring of David that the prophets were looking forward to. And we know that he has come. Jesus is the one who is going to finally bring about God's forever kingdom in all the earth. That's where this messed up, mixed up, unjust world is heading. One day, that era of perfect peace and justice where they will not kill or destroy anymore on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as waters cover the sea. That day is coming. That's what we're waiting for. And that's what we should be longing for and living for. And right now, as we pray for that day to come, we should be praying for that knowledge of God's glory to come to us. I pray that I would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That you would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That this church would be filled. That your our families and communities and homes and workplaces and neighborhoods would be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That the Lord would pour out the awareness of the reality that He is glorious and good and it would transform us and those around us. Which brings us back to where we started, to the envelope. God will keep his promise. This vision is certain. It is going to happen. He will give life to those who faithfully follow him. He will 
bring all the wicked to justice. He will fill the earth with his glory. He's doing it already. But it's not done. So wait for it. Hold on. Don't give up. And spread the word. Spread the knowledge. Write it. Proclaim it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. Be quiet and listen. Because he has a message that everyone needs to hear. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God, it is hard for us to wait. This world is not as it should be, but we believe and know that your hand is at work among the nations. And that in the midst of the years, you are making your glory known. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to see, that you would fill us with an awareness of your glory, that you would lift our eyes to heavenly things, to see Jesus, your Son, enthroned, and to look to that day when all the earth, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to your everlasting glory. Lord, help us to persevere in hope and in faith. And Lord, strengthen us by your Spirit and enable us to share this good news that the whole world needs to hear. And we pray all of it in the great name of Christ our King. Amen.